Today we're going to be reading the Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe! Woe! Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses, prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. 
They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of their mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the colour of fire and of sapphire, and of sulphur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. The fire and the smoke and the sulphur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulphur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Last week in chapters 6 and 7, Jesus broke seven seals on the scroll that contains God's plan for history. And as these seals were broken, this both reveals God's plan for history and it also sets into emotion these events that wrap up history and bring about God's final judgment. And I said last week, that as each of these seven seals were broken, it was like we were being given a table of contents to to read. It was like a a heads-up that was coming in the rest of the Revelation. Uh, This week, we begin reading the seven trumpets, which reveal God's judgment in in greater detail. And in two or three weeks' time, we'll encounter the seven bowls, which reveal the wrath of God in even greater detail. And so we have to understand that the book of Revelation doesn't just follow a set, it doesn't just set forward a continuous series of events. John records it in the order that he saw it. He records the order of the vision, not the order of the events that take place. So for instance, here's a list of the seven seals that we read about last week. The first seal revealed a white horse. And its rider represented a world ruler bent on conquest and war. The second seal revealed a red horse representing anarchy and murder. And we've seen a few examples of this unfolding this very week in the world. In Manchester and also in Egypt where Christians have been slaughtered by ISIS. Um, The third seal revealed a black horse 
The fifth seal reveals the faithful who have been slain and how they cry out for justice. The sixth seal reveals the cataclysmic global and cosmic upheaval that is going to occur, such that people would rather be buried alive than to face God's judgment. And here we're told that the sun and the moon would be darkened, the islands and mountains would disappear, stars fall from the sky, and in fact the sky disappears. And now... As the seventh seal is opened, the seven trumpets are revealed. But as we get into these seven trumpets, on the fourth trumpet, the sun is darkened. But it's already gone dark, back when we were reading the seven seals. You see, the book of Revelation is not a start-to-finish sequence of events. It describes the same events several times in different ways. Now, my scientific way of thinking has a lot of trouble with that. You know, I like to think that something, that the beginning relates to the beginning, the end relates to the end, and that there's going to be a natural progression through from the beginning to the end, and that would be a nice, neat timeline. That's the way my mind likes to work. And so I've got to put my mind aside, because with biblical prophecy, that's very often not so. And sometimes... The same event is foretold in several different ways. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, there were a multitude of prophets all foretelling the destruction of Israel and Judah. And they used all sorts of images to describe this one event. Think also about when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh dreamed, he had a dream, and he dreamt that there were seven fat cows. And they were described as being really good stock. But then seven scrawny and ugly cows came along and gobbled them up. And then he woke up. But then Pharaoh had a second dream. And he saw seven ears of really good grain growing on the one stalk. But then seven thin and blighted ears turned up and swallowed them up. And Genesis 41 says, Joseph said to Pharaoh... The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Right? So it wasn't like, okay, first of all, we're going to have seven bad years for the livestock, and then, sorry, seven good years for livestock, and then seven bad years, and then later on there's going to be another separate event. And, and Joseph went on to say, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Right, so Pharaoh had one dream and then he had another. Both of them were different, but they were both describing the one event. So we have two different views of the one event, one from the perspective of the livestock suffering and the other from the perspective of the failed crops. And we accept this, don't we? Two different views of the one event. And this is what we have to accept in the Revelation. Several different views 
of the one event. I heard Philip Jensen give a talk on Revelation once and and he used the analogy of the instant replay that we have on our sporting events these days and and I thought that was a really good analogy. In footy, somebody might make a spectacular try and if you're watching the telly, you don't only see it once, you see it four, five or six times, each from a different angle. You're seeing it from a different perspective, from a different camera that recorded the event. So it's the same event It looks to be different, but it's the same event, and you're seeing it from different angles. And that's what we have in the book of Revelation. So, let's begin. I said before that that we talked about the opening of the seventh seal, but we actually didn't get that far last week. We finished after the opening of the sixth seal. But let's go back to the fifth seal, because that's going to help us to understand what's going on here. When the fifth seal was broken... We caught a glimpse of something that was happening in heaven. Those who have been killed because they've been faithful to Jesus were calling out to God, how long? How long, O Lord, until you bring justice? How long until you avenge our blood? Now, don't ever, ever be made to feel guilty about judgment. Not when it's God's judgment. I mean, no, we shouldn't be judging ourselves. But never be made to feel guilty that God is coming in judgment. Because justice is what we're talking about. Our God is a just God. And everybody wants justice. You start asking people what they want to see in the world and what they start describing will always include justice. But true justice is only delivered when a just God makes his judgment. And now the seventh seal gets broken. And there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's a long time for complete silence. Uh, heaven is a pretty, generally a pretty noisy sort of a place. There's, there's 24 elders, there's four living creatures, there's thousands of angels, and these are all worshipping God. There's loud trumpets and there's all sorts of things going on. There's plenty going on in heaven. But now we're struck with a deafening silence. On Anzac Day and Armistice Day, we have a minute's silence. And I usually find that after about two minutes, I start counting because I think, surely we've already had two minutes. And I start counting off the seconds in my mind. And I usually count off about 40 seconds before it's over. And so I think we've already had two minutes silence, but we've only had about 20 seconds. And um, But here... There's going to be 30 minutes of absolute silence, 30 minutes of building expectation, 30 minutes of trembling at what is to come. You know the saying, the quiet before the storm? And we've all experienced that, eh? It's like when there's a big storm coming, sometimes there's a real quiet period, a lull, where even the leaves on the trees don't even move, not even a little bit. You can't even hear a bird singing. Then all of a sudden, the wind arrives and the storm arrives in all of its fury. That's pretty much what's happening here. There's silence. 30 minutes of absolute silence. And then an angel was given incense to offer. In the book of the Revelation, the incense represents the prayers of the saints. And in fact, That's what we're told in this very picture here. The smoke of the incense 
mixes with the prayers of God's children. And what have God's children been praying? How long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our blood? How long until you're going to come and bring justice? You know what they've been praying? Your kingdom come. And that's what we pray. Lord, your kingdom come. And the angel uses that same bowl that the prayers were offered in to then scoop up fire from the altar and to hurl it down upon the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. That's how long. God isn't going to wait any longer. He's going to act. And this is the point at which we finish the seven seals. And now comes the seven trumpets. Some of the events that are described here will be events that we've already seen such as the darkening of the sun. Some of the events will be different. The seven seals gave us a view of the persecution and the dangers of God's people as these end times approach. But now the seven trumpets tell us more about the judgment of those who are not God's people. And the seven trumpets are reminiscent of the plagues that God brought upon Egypt in the book of Exodus. Some of the plagues are almost identical. Some of them are very different. Some of them, well, we have a reasonable idea of what they might mean. Others, if we're honest, we have absolutely no idea what they mean. But this gets me thinking, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that these plagues of judgment are coming upon the world? Well, It depends upon who you are. And in this regard, it's also very similar to the plagues in Egypt. In Egypt, the Lord had seen the misery of his people Israel, who were slaves. He'd heard their cry and he was really concerned about them for their suffering. And so God decided that he was going to do something about it. And so to the people of Israel, the plagues that God brought upon Egypt was their salvation. It led to their release. It led to their freedom. They were rescued by God. But of course, to the people of Egypt, it was awful. They suffered greatly through these plagues that God brought upon them. And now, with the plagues of the seven trumpets, God has heard his people cry out because of their suffering. Their prayers have been, Lord, vindicate us, avenge our blood, come in justice. And now the time has come for the Lord to answer that prayer. And to those who are faithful to Jesus, this is their salvation. This is what we've been praying for for the last 2,000 years as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. But of course, to the people of the earth, those who are being judged, it's awful. And they will suffer greatly. And just like the plagues of Egypt, some of the plagues in Egypt impacted on the Hebrews and the Egyptians alike. But then later on, as the plagues got worse, they impacted on the Egyptians only, and the Hebrews were protected from them. And just like that, some of these plagues will come upon everybody on the earth, including Christians. But as the plagues get worse, 
those who are faithful to God, those who have been sealed, will be protected. With the first trumpet came hail and fire mixed with blood. This is almost identical to the seventh plague that hit Egypt. Uh, the image of fire, by the way, probably means a lot of lightning, as it, as it meant also in, in the plagues of Egypt. There is going to be enormous storms of hail and lightning that will destroy, maim and kill. And we're told the result of it. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All green grass was burned up. Now, living in Australia, we know very well how an electrical storm can burn the earth. In a dry land, lightning can set fires. And imagine an Australian summer with a huge fuel load and lightning bolts setting fires right across the land. But the description of being burned up doesn't mean that the burning has to happen by fire. The fury of a hailstorm can lead to total and absolute destruction. Um, some friends of mine once told me about a furious hailstorm that hit their farm. Buildings were write-offs. Motor vehicles were written off. Trees and grass were stripped bare. And they described to me the stench around their house because every bird that was in the trees had been killed by the hail. And there was just dead birds everywhere. And we could describe the, the remnants of a hailstorm as scorched earth, couldn't we? The second angel blew his trumpet. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Is it a volcano? I don't know. But the result is similar to the first plague of Egypt. Not the similar, not, not the same, but similar. The sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay, so it's similar in that the water turned to blood and the aquatic life died. Different in that there were ships that were destroyed and we're told here that it was only a third of the aquatic life that died. But there's also another possibility here and that is that it's alluding to the destruction of Babylon. In the Revelation, the city of Babylon represents the centre of godlessness devoted to wealth, trade and worldliness. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 51, God says that he will repay Babylon for its evil. And he says, I will make you a burnt mountain. And then in verse 63 and 64 of that same chapter, God tells Jeremiah, listen, after you've written all of this down and after you've finished reading it out, reading out this prophecy, tie a stone to this book and throw it into the river and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her. Now... Um, we're hearing about this great mountain, this burning mountain. And we don't know for sure that what it is, but it could be referring to Babylon. And its downfall could well be accompanied by the plague of the water turning to blood. And if so, then we're catching a little glimpse of Revelation chapter 18 that says, 
Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And then it goes on to talk about how the merchants will not be able to trade anymore. Right? So here we have this burning mountain, which in the Old Testament represents Babylon, being thrown into the sea. And part of the results of that is the shipping, which is the great trade routes of the nations are affected. A third of them are lost. So it could very well be alluding to the destruction of Babylon, which is metaphorical for the destruction of the world's trade. Which you can imagine, can't you? If a third of the world's ships all of a sudden sank, what would that do to world trade? So it could represent that but we're not sure. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Now, Wormwood is a very bitter substance, but in the Bible, this bitter Wormwood became synonymous with poison. Wormwood itself is not poisonous, but it was being used as a metaphor for poison. Okay, so a third of the waters became wormwood, became poison, and many people died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, we don't know what this plague means. It's not at all like any of the plagues of Egypt. In the Revelation, a star falling usually represents a demon, one of Satan's fallen angels. But even though we don't know what the cause is, the result is obvious. A third of the world's water resources are poisoned and many people die from the water. It could be some kind of terrorist chemical attack where water supplies across the world are poisoned. It could be some kind of waterborne disease. We do not know. But you'll know when it happens, won't you? When the news is telling you about all of these water supplies all across the world that have become poisonous and people are dying because of it, you'll know what it's talking about. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and something very much like the ninth plague of Egypt occurs. Darkness. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. Now, I don't know whether this means a third of its luminance is going to be reduced and so it's darkened by a third or there's going to be some kind of shift to the Earth's axis so that there'll be parts of the world that that lose a lot of its daylight or whether there's going to be smog or haze that blocks out the light. We don't know what it means but once again we'll know when it happens. If all of a sudden things are starting to get dark around the place There's not going to be much doubt about it, is there? You'll know that it's relating to this. And we know that it will happen. We've been told that it'll happen in Matthew chapter 24, in Mark chapter 13, in Luke chapter 21. We've already heard about it in Revelation chapter 6. And now we're being told it again in Revelation chapter 8. I'm pretty sure this one's going to happen, hey? Verse 13. Then I looked... And I heard an eagle crying. Uh, By the way, this could also be a vulture. It's the same Greek word for for eagle and vulture. Um, So I saw this eagle or vulture crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, 
Woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is a dreadful warning. The first four trumpets have been bad enough. Who thinks that the first four trumpets sound pretty bad? Yep. Well, now we're being told it's going to get even worse. Just like the plagues of Egypt got worse and worse, so too will the plagues of the judgment get worse and worse. And this is the point at which the plagues are suffered only by those who are not sealed by God. Up until this point, God's faithful seem to be suffering along with the people of the world. And that's been okay because we know that as we suffer through these events, they're leading through to the fulfillment of God's new heaven and God's new earth. That's why in Matthew they're described as birth pains. We're willing to suffer these pains because we know of what is coming. But now at this point, as we get to the three woes that are the last three trumpets, this is God's wrath upon his enemies. It is not God's wrath upon his children. And so the first woe. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. And something like the eighth plague of Egypt, but different, a plague of locusts is released. A fallen star, which we've already said usually represents either Satan or one of his demons, was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now that sounds ominous, doesn't it? If I had access to sound effects here, I think at this stage I'd want a really low note of, of a shello or, or a double bass, something a really low note to let us know there's something really ominous happening here. He was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, and from the smoke came locusts on the earth. Hey, these locusts, they're not like any ordinary locusts. Now, I tried to think of some kind of modern military machine that they might be, might be describing. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. Their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And I could, I thought about this and I, I started picturing huge squadrons of attack helicopters swarming in with rockets and biological weapons, swooping in to kill and destroy. Uh, I don't think that's at all what it's talking about. Why not? Well, firstly, they don't harm the vegetation. Um, and nothing much in war um, cannot hurt the vegetation. But the strangest thing is that they only harm those who are not sealed by God. And we're told that they could torment them for five months, but they couldn't kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings, right? There was great pain involved, 
The pain was so great that they would attempt suicide, but their attempts at suicide, which they would probably call euthanasia, were thwarted. They just couldn't do it. This is not a war machine. It's something else. In the Old Testament book of Joel, we read about the locusts coming upon the land and stripping the land bare. And there are some remarkable similarities to the, script, to the description given in Joel and the description of the locusts here. And the funny thing is Bible scholars, well, we still, they're still disagreed as to whether Joel is describing a literal locust plague that stripped the land bare or whether he's describing a marauding army that has come in and stripped the land bare. But in Joel... This is the important part. In Joel, it points us forward to the day that's known as the day of the Lord. And here in the Revelation, we're seeing the day of the Lord unfolding. This is the point at which God has said, enough is enough. Today is the day and it's going to happen. And in Joel, it is a call to repentance while there is still time. God is going to judge the nations. That's what we learn from Joel. And here in the book of Revelation, are these locusts representing an army invading? Or is it some kind of insect infestation allowed by God? Locusts that don't eat what's green, but sting like scorpions but only those who haven't been sealed by God are the ones who get stung. What, what is it describing? We do not know. But we do know this. This is a supernatural event. It is a demonic affliction allowed by God. Verse 11 says, They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. You know, you'd think that the devil wouldn't worry so much about those who are on his side and against God, wouldn't you? But not so. He's worried about what Satan's on about is bringing hurt and pain and destruction wherever he can. And in this case, he brings it upon whoever is not protected by God. And this has always been the case. That those who reject God and those who worship the devil end up with all sorts of spiritual oppression, possession, sickness and disease. As Hosea 8 says, if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. That's only one woe. There's another two woes to come yet. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. To invade Israel, either from the north, which is up in the Soviet countries and in the Balkan states, or to come from the east, such as Iran, Iraq, or the far east, such as India, China, an army needs to cross the Euphrates River from north to south. Now, to the ancients, north of the Euphrates, 
um, was a terribly horrifying place to go. It was the land of the Parthenians. Once you cross the Euphrates and you're into the land of the Parthenians, you'd left civilization and you're into the land of the barbarians. And in war, there's nothing like the Geneva Convention there to set boundaries in the midst of war. It was truly gruesome stuff. Now, God has set a date on his calendar. He has written on his calendar the hour, the day, the month, the year when this event will begin. In Revelation chapter 7, we've already had one view of these angels. These angels were the ones who were holding back the final destruction of God until God's people were sealed. And remember, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, sealed with the Spirit so that they'd be able to stand strong in the faith as Christ's witnesses through this time. But now these four angels are being released to bring on the very final judgment. And a massive army is released, an army such that has never marched ever before. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Now that's 200 million if you're not so quick on adding zeros to twos. Is it an army of angels? Is it an army of demons? Is it a human army? We do not know. If it's a human army, there's probably only one nation large enough to muster it. And could be coming from that direction, and that's China. We don't know who they are, but we do know the result. A third of mankind are killed. But it's not completely clear whether this includes God's people or not. I suspect that it does not include God's people, and this is why. With this army, there are three plagues associated with it. Fire, smoke, and sulphur. And we could try to tie these images to conventional weapons, nuclear weapons and biological weapons, but I don't think so. More likely is this. Smoke, fire and sulphur are always pictures of God's wrath and judgment upon the wicked. And a third of mankind are killed. And so if this is God's judgment and it's representing God's judgment of the wicked, it's not going to include being poured out on his children. So what's the result of all this? Verses 20 and 21 give us the key to everything that we've read this morning. What is the result of all this? Has anyone kept track of the number of times that I've said this morning, I don't know what this means, or we can't be sure what this means, or maybe this might mean this? It all sounds very unsure, doesn't it? Some people will be able to get up and tell you exactly what this means and then somebody else will get up and tell you exactly what it all means and they'll completely disagree with each other. I'm just going to be honest with you and say, I don't know what a lot of this means. But we do know that it is the terrible wrath of God justly being poured out on a wicked world. And what's the result? The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, 
nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. If all of these judgments are God's final attempts to get humanity to repent of their sin and to turn to him, well, they have completely failed. No. All of these progressive judgments are not God's final attempt to get people to take notice. Our God understands human nature and the human heart far better than that. What it is, is proof that a heart so set against God that even the pressures of judgment will not allow it to be swayed from its own destructive direction. We saw this in Egypt with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God was very clear. He says, I am going to do these things so that Pharaoh will let my people go. Did he say that? No. God said, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to bring these plagues upon Egypt so that Pharaoh will harden his heart. And every act of God hardened Pharaoh's heart even more. And God knew it. And there was no sense to it. Imagine that. Pharaoh's there and all of these plagues happening. It's obvious that there's God at work here. And what about in the later plagues where the Hebrews were totally unaffected by the plague? But the Egyptians are suffering greatly. And yet he still hardened his heart against God. You know, sometimes we Christians, we find ourselves wondering about our friends and our loved ones. Why can't they see? Some people have been given every opportunity to see the amazing acts of God. And yet they still will not repent and turn their hearts to him. Is it our ineffectiveness? Maybe we just need a bit more power and a bit more display of, of miracles and signs and wonders. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nope. It's not the absence of signs that stop it. This is human nature. People just won't turn to God. And all of these obvious judgments of God. And in the final couple of the judgments, Christians are not affected. And there's no sense to the response. The godless still won't repent. They harden their hearts against God with each successive plague. They just harden their hearts some more. And this is happening in the world today. It's not only in the final end. In Luke chapter 13, a couple of disasters unfolded and, and somebody asked Jesus about these disasters and Jesus responds along the lines of, do you think they were worse sinners than what you are? And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Even now, when disasters unfold in our world, these are a reminder to us that the day of the Lord is coming. They are a reminder to us that time is running out. It's time to repent and turn to the Lord. But what happens in our world today when there's a drought or a flood or a cyclone or a famine? What's the news say? Climate change. It's climate change and we have to take action on climate change because we can fix it. If we act now, we can fix this. The power is in our hands. It's very interesting that our reading today finished with they did not repent of the works of their hands. The wrath of God is not something that we can ever fix. The only thing we can do is repent of our sin, repent of our godlessness, repent of our idolatries, repent of our self-sufficiency, and call on the name of the Lord. We're in a section of Revelation now where we are hearing a lot about the wrath and the judgment of God. And some people might say, you're just trying to frighten people. Well, actually, yes, it is. It is a great big warning signpost telling us about what is to come in the hope that some people will take notice, that they'll take stock of their life direction and turn to God. Cigarette packets these days don't have nice, enticing company logos on them. They're covered in the most gruesome pictures of lung cancer and mouth cancer and all sorts of gruesome images. People are being warned. The signs are right there. Everybody knows. But people keep on smoking. That's the nature of the human heart. This section of Revelation is warning people about the coming judgment of God. But they still won't repent. Well, there's still one trumpet to blow. And uh, we'll continue with this series next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are coming to save all those who are anxiously waiting for you. We thank you that you've given every opportunity to repent. We also thank you that you are a God of justice, a God of mercy, and a God of love. Lord, the cross is proof of this love that you have for us. We thank you so much that you loved us so much that Jesus died on the cross that Jesus bore your wrath in his body so that we don't have to. And so with confidence we pray, come Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be sure and firm witnesses to our Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your second coming, that you would help us to seek 
your righteous judgment in the right way. Not with a, any sense of, right, get them, God, because they've been so horrible to us. But in a sober judgment, knowing, Lord, that you are bringing your righteousness, that you are judging evil in the world, and that you are making all things new. Yes, Lord, help us to be sure and firm witnesses, always pointing our neighbour towards you, always preaching the need for repentance in the midst of the judgments, always preaching your love and mercy, always preaching your grace, and not only willingness to forgive, but your absolute joy and desire to forgive. Lord, give us courage to stand firm in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.